Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I've received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word. Let's pray. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for speaking to us. Thank you for speaking to us and working among us so that we might know you and your Father. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit, Jesus, so that even now you help us, not from afar, but near, in our midst. You are the God who is in the midst of your people. Thank you. Oh, please help us now to see and to worship. In the precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. No one ever spoke like Jesus. We said that again and again. John, the gospel writer, keeps pointing out again and again, no one spoke like this man, ever. Look at the end of our passage, verse 19. It says the crowds are divided. You see that? And they just listen to Jesus say that he has authority to lay his life down and take it back up again. Verse 19, they're divided. Some say he has a demon. He's insane. And if their premise is correct that he has a demon and is insane, then their conclusion is correct. Why listen to him? You have no obligation to listen to an insane man. But others say in verse 21, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You need to decide for yourself. As you listen to the kind of astounding things that Jesus says in our passage, you can't leave this sermon without deciding for yourself whether you'll embrace it or not. That's the reason John tells us what the crowds are thinking. Because he wants to take a second to pause so that you, the reader or the listener, can think, what do I think about this man? Are these the words of a man who's crazy? Are these the words of a man who's possessed by a demon? You have to decide. 
how you're going to deal with Jesus this morning. Because the things that Jesus tells us week in and week out rank among the most valuable truths you could ever hold. Jesus is about to tell us that he's a good shepherd. He's going to give us reasons why he's a good shepherd. And then he's going to tell us what his father thinks about him as a shepherd. That's where we're going. These truths are ones you have to deal with. I think that's what verses 19 through 21 are telling us. You've got to deal with it. What do I think about Jesus as a good shepherd? What do I think about his father's feelings towards the good shepherd? You deal with it. That's what John, that's what God is calling us to. Now, in our passage, Jesus says he's the good shepherd. So pause on the word good. He's not just a shepherd. He's a good one. You can lead sheep and you can be bad. You can be cruel. You can be abusive. You can be a hired hand. Jesus mentioned them previously in this passage. People, I'm just, I'm just being a shepherd for the money. I mean, the second danger comes, I'm out of here. It's not worth it. I'm getting paid however much an hour. But Jesus is good. He's good. We're going to see three things he mentions about his goodness. In verse 14 and the beginning of verse 15, he gives the first reason that he's good. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. So Jesus knows his sheep. His sheep know him. He compares his relationship with the sheep, and his sheep are people, us. He compares his relationship with us, the sheep, with the relationship that he has with God the Father, That's stunning. My sheep have a relationship with me like I have with God the Father. Jesus, the Son of God, has a depth of intimacy with his Father that's endless. Their personal knowledge of each other is perfect. Jesus is not saying that his people know him perfectly or infinitely. We're not God like he is. But he is saying that the intimacy and the personal relationship he has with the Father is the same kind of relationship he has with us. It's intimate. It's personal. This shepherd doesn't give his sheep a number and a description on his clipboard. Sheep number eight right there. Black ears, a little black spot on its side. Wait, no, that's not sheep eight. Maybe that's sheep seven. That's not knowing someone, is it? It's knowing something about someone. You've got a list with a number and a description. He knows his sheep by name. He's familiar with your thoughts, your feelings, your personality. And most importantly, he fellowships with us. And we get to fellowship with him. You know what that word means? It's a church word, fellowship. 
just means a, a close, personal, intimate relationship. The difference between knowing something about someone and knowing someone is fellowship, intimacy, real relationship. Our shepherd cares about you. He knows you. And he's inviting you to know him personally in real intimate fellowship. You can. Did you know that? You can. Not just know facts about Jesus. You can have real fellowship with him as a person, a real friendship. You can. He's calling you into that friendship as your shepherd. That's good. That's good. He also lays down his life for the sheep. Do you see that in the second half of verse 15? That's the second way he's good to us. He lays down his life. Isaiah 53 says that we're all like sheep who have wandered off. So you can just take that image. You're looking at a hill. There's sheep going over here. There's sheep wandering over there. That's us. But we're not just lost. I mean, if you think about driving in Dubai, you take a wrong turn, you're done for. That's how it is. You're walking in the forest. There are no forests here. You're walking outdoors with your friend. You go different directions, and you realize, I don't know where I am. But what you need in that moment is directions. That's not a moral issue. I just need some directions. Somebody give me a map. That's different than our lostness in the Bible. Our lostness is that we have wandered off away from God in sin. We don't want to do what he says. We don't want to listen to him. We want to do what we want to do. That's what it means to wander off and to be lost. And we're trapped now in the death that our sin deserves. That's how we're lost. So when Jesus, our shepherd, finds us, if he's going to bring us back from our lostness, He's not just going to give us better directions. He's got to rescue us from judgment. And he does that by being judged for the sins of the sheep. Isaiah 53, 6. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. But the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. He lays down his life for the sheep. He really loves you. Jesus points this out. He's going to point it out later in the Gospel of John in chapter 15, verse 13. He says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. If, you, if you're willing to lay down your life for someone, if you're willing to sacrifice your life for someone else, you're giving the most precious thing you have to sacrifice. And Jesus is saying, that's about as big a demonstration of love as you can give. And the reason he tells us that is because he wants you to know that's him. He really loves you. He really loves you. That's why he's laying his life down. So that you would be able to see he's giving the most precious sacrifice that could be given so that you might be saved and so that you might know 
He really loves you. He's a good shepherd. If you're not a Christian, this is how you get your sins dealt with. This is how you can know personally the love of Jesus Christ and him laying down his life for you. Your friends and family who don't believe, this is how they get their sins forgiven. This is how they know the love of Christ. Believe it and you'll know him as your good shepherd. Goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. That's good. And thirdly, we see his goodness as a shepherd in verse 16. His shepherding is effective. It works. So you can be good-hearted and still be a bad shepherd. You can have affection for the sheep. You can name them. Oh, this is Betty. Here's Steve. Here's Carl. You really care for these sheep. But if every once in a while you accidentally lead the sheep off a cliff, where'd Betty go? Betty! It's just you and, you and Steve and Carl now. Or if you occasionally lose a few. I, I, I think we had 100 to start with. 75 now? Hey, that's 75%. That will get you through med school. You're not a good shepherd. You might be good-hearted, but you're a bad shepherd. We don't want a savior with a 75% success rate. We have one who brings and leads all who belong to him safely. Verse 16. I have other sheep that are not of this fold. So a fold is a fenced-in area where you keep a particular group of sheep. So he's saying, I have a particular group inside this fold, but I also have others outside. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. So Jesus is talking about bringing sheep who do not belong to the fold of Israel. Matthew 15, 24, Jesus is speaking to a Canaanite woman, and he says, I came for the lost sheep of the tribe of Israel. So in his ministry, when he was walking on earth, he came to the people of Israel. That's the fold he's talking about. But he's telling us he's going to save people outside outside Israel, and bring them in. This is revolutionary. It's revolutionary. Just try to pretend the last 2,000 years haven't happened. If you're Jewish, you know, okay, we get saved. God works among us because we're Jewish. We keep the law. If anybody wants to be saved, they need to become one of us, a Jew, and live on the land here and do the things we do. Jesus came to the Jewish people to be their shepherd, their king, their savior, and he tells them, I'm going to do that for people outside too. You and I in this room are evidence 
that what he promised here, he did. He did it. We're sheep outside the fold of Israel, and he brought us into his care. Just a parenthesis for this sermon. But this is what Jesus is about now. He's about bringing people who are far off from all the nations to himself. That's what he's about. And if your life is not hitched up to that purpose, hitch it up. If you want to be connected to the life of Jesus, what he's doing, what he's after, you have an opportunity here in this nation to rub elbows with people from all the tribes and tongues, languages, places, peoples. And he is about calling them to himself. And for those of you who are hitched up to this purpose, endure. Keep seeking him. Fellowship with him. Refine your methods according to his word. But endure. Your labor will not be in vain. We'll see that. Jesus tells us more than that he brings the nations. Remember, right now we're talking about why he's effective as a shepherd. When Jesus says, I have sheep, present tense, who are not of this fold, I must bring them. He's saying, there are people out there who don't yet believe in me. But they're my sheep, so I must bring them. They will listen to me. This is very similar to what he said in chapter 6, verse 37. Jesus said, all that the Father gives to me, he's talking about people, all that, that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. So in our passage, Jesus says, I have sheep out there beyond the borders of Israel. They don't believe in me yet. They don't even know I exist yet. But I must bring them. In the Greek, that word must is dei. It is as strong as you can possibly say that something is necessary. I have sheep out there and it is necessary that I bring them. And if there's any doubt whether they will believe, he says, they will listen to me. Every sheep that the Father has given to Jesus to care for, Jesus will call to himself and they will follow him. If you're wondering whether your labor is in vain, I've been doing this for a long time. I tell people about Jesus, I'm not seeing anything. He will bring his sheep. None will be lost. None. None. They will listen, and the way they'll listen is through your voice. When they hear you explain what he's done as the shepherd of the sheep, his sheep will hear, and they will listen. Oh, how hopeful is that? 
Your labor is not in vain. As a shepherd, he never fails. He has no sheep that he does not save. If you do believe, it's because Jesus made sure you would. Have you thanked him for that recently? If you believe, no, he'll never let you go. He will never cast you out. He's not just good-hearted. He's good at what he does. He knows his sheep. His sheep know him. That's good. He lays his life down for the sheep. He loves us. That's good. And he's effective. He brings all his sheep in from among all the nations of the world. That's good. Jesus draws back the curtain even farther to let us see not just what he does, but what the Father thinks about it. He wants you to know what the heart of his Father is like. Verses 17 through 18. This is what the Father loves about Jesus. For this reason the Father loves me. Because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me. But I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Look at, what, look at what Jesus emphasizes. No one takes his life. Not ultimately, not finally. Books are always being written about what events, what people were really behind the death of Jesus, what socioeconomic forces, what political forces were at work to get Jesus killed. Now, there were political and economic forces behind, pe- behind Jesus dying. But here's what Jesus wants you to know. No one takes his life. Not the Jews, not the Romans. He lays it down of his own accord. You read verses 17 through 18, you should be crystal clear that this is on his own terms. He's in control. The circumstances surrounding his death, the people who accuse him, mock him, strike him, spit on him, nail him to the cross, are all being sustained by his power. He's in control of everything surrounding his death. And he dies willingly. He's been given the job of dying and rising. He's been given authority to do that by the Father. You've never met anyone like that before. You've never met anyone who's laid their life down on exactly their own terms. And I know you've never met anyone who has authority to take their life back when they say it's time. His response to being sent by his father to die and rise was not resistance. 
for, for these people, Father? Really? Or, or grumpy? Kids, you know what it's like to be told to clean your room and you do it? Throwing things around. Sassy. Parents, you know what that's like to be grumpy and do what you ought. That's not Jesus. He wants you to understand this. That's why he says what he says here. He wanted what the Father wanted. When it came to the hour of his torment, the hour of him drinking the cup of his Father's wrath, the hour of his abandonment and shame and all the hours leading up to it, no one was forcing Jesus. He laid his life down because he wanted to. And he raised it up when he wanted to so that you and I could be saved with him. The Father loves Jesus for that. Do you see that in verse 17? For this reason, the Father loves me. The Father loves everything about Jesus. There's nothing about Jesus that ever displeases God. Jesus says that in John 8, 29. I always do the things that are pleasing to him. Father loves that. There are lots of things to love about Jesus. And the Father loves them all. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are in Christ. Colossians 2, 3. The Father loves that about his Son. He made all things. John 1, 3. The Father loves that about Jesus. He has perfect patience. 1 Timothy 1, 16. The Father loves that. He's going to judge the world on behalf of the Father's glory. John 5, 22. The Father loves that about Jesus. We could go on and on and on and on. They've been loving each other before the foundation of the world. John 17, 24. In him, the fullness of God is pleased to dwell. Colossians 1, 19. He is the radiance of the glory of God. The exact imprint of his nature. Hebrews 1, 3. He's the image of the invisible God, Colossians 1.15. So, when Jesus says in verse 17, for this reason the Father loves me, he's not telling us the only reason that the Father loves him. He's telling us what's at the very top of the list. What's at the very peak of the things that the Father loves about him. It's that he wants to do it. He wants to lay down his life for the sheep so that he can take his life back up and us with him. So when the father looks at his son, there's something that rises to the top of his affections. My son lays his life down for the sheep. That's what the Father loves. That's what thrills the Father's heart. So why does this matter? You might think this is 
strange for Jesus to be talking about what he does as a shepherd and then all of a sudden he tells us what his father thinks about it. Why does it matter? You, you might be tempted to think, as long as Jesus saves me, I don't know why I care what the father thinks about Jesus doing it. Here's why it matters. What you love most shows who you are. Have you ever been getting to know someone and you play, you play that game of favorites? Like, what's your favorite book? What's your favorite teller, kids? What's your favorite movie? And someone tells you what their favorite movie is and you go, oh, are you serious? It's your favorite movie? You're one of those people? Is your favorite? Or imagine guys, girls, you're spending time with someone of the opposite sex. There's interest there. And imagine, ladies, the guy you've been spending time with, he says, I've really been enjoying spending time together. I love your sense of humor. I love how creative you are. I love your sense of adventure. Most of all, I love the way you look. Ew. Now, you would like for the person that you're interested in to appreciate your appearance. But if someone tells you that's what they love most about you, they aren't just telling you something about you. They're telling you something about them. They're telling you what their heart is like, and it's shallow. What you most love shows who you are, what kind of person you are. What God loves most shows what God is like. Consider this. What if Jesus, instead of saying what he did say, had said this, for this reason the Father loves me, because I punish all of the unrepentant in hell. Now, it's true that Jesus will do that. And the Father will be pleased that Jesus is executing justice perfectly on his behalf. God is not going to be sad for all of eternity. But what if that's what the Father loved most about Jesus? What would that do to you emotionally, psychologically, knowing that God gets the most pleasure in his son defeating you? It would make you very insecure. If you thought the highest place of joy in God's heart was his love of justice, what confidence would you have if you ever tried to come to him for mercy? If he doesn't love mercy more than justice, you don't have any confidence that when you come, he might not just blast you right there because that's what he loves most. That's not what sits highest on the shelf of God's heart. It's his son's willing sacrifice to save the ones he loves. What the father loves most about Jesus shows what he's like. He loves that his son willingly gives himself to save us. 
because that's what the Father's heart is like. It's a generous heart that overflows in goodness to those he loves. Some people have a view of God the Father that is pitted against their view of the Son. God the Father, they think, he's the angry one. He's irritated easily. He's sitting on the edge of his seat, watching my life, waiting to swap me the second I step out of line. Anybody think of God like that? And then Jesus comes along and he says, please, please, Father, don't. I, I'll, I'll stand in for them. Please. That's not how Jesus wants you to think about his Father. Jesus is jealous that you think about his Father in the right way. How do you think about God's attitude toward you? Towards you? Do you imagine that? I think if people are honest here, many can relate to the idea. It's, it's easy for me to think that God's on, the Father's on the edge of his seat, staring at my life, ready to beat me down the second I put a toe out of line. Do you think of God the Father that way, that he's sick, that you're in his family? Do you think that his wrath and his love hold the same place in his heart? If Jesus died to shepherd you, and the Father loves that Jesus did that, will God be disappointed if you come to him through the death of Jesus to be shepherded? Never. No way. He delights in his son's generous love because that's what his heart is like. Who doesn't want a father like, like that? We all want a dad like that. When you come to him in faith, that's who he is. It's not a mask he puts on. It's who he is when you come to him in faith. When you pray, after you sin, that's who he is. When you're sick, when you're tempted, when you're scared, that's who he is. He's a God who loves generous love. And so he'll give it to you through Jesus and he'll shepherd you. In the last section, which we were in six weeks ago, Jesus said, I came that they, the sheep, might have life and have it to the full or have it abundantly. Do you want that? I don't think there's a person in here who would say, no, I don't want a full life. Jesus tells us what it is and how to get it. Knowing God like this is how you get it. You were made to know God as he really is, to worship him for who he really is. That's what you were made for. That's where abundant, full life is found, in worshiping, knowing truly who God is, and worshiping him for that. So, that's why this matters. Anytime Jesus tells us who he is, who he really is, 
or who his father really is or who the spirit really is. He's giving us a precious gift because he's giving us the thing, a knowledge of God that fuels our worship, which is where abundant life is found. If you want that this afternoon, meditate on this truth, what the father's heart is like. It's generous. He loves most that his son lays his life down for you. Consider it. It's true. And worshiping over this truth is where you find fullness of life. So treasure what he says about himself. He is your good shepherd. Treasure what he says about the Father. Because the Father is good. Father, help us believe it. Please. You know our our hearts, the darkness of our hearts, the sinfulness, the confusion. It's easy for us, Father, to put blame on you or to see you darkly as though your heart is not good, but it is. Oh, help us believe it. Thank you, Jesus, for speaking these words, for showing us what your Father's heart is like. Oh, we want to know you more. Thank you for the Holy Spirit so that we can know you as our shepherd. Know you. Not just talk about you. We can fellowship with you and your Father in the Spirit. Thank you, Jesus, that you laid down your life for us. Help us as we take the Lord's Supper to treasure it. It's in your name we pray.